You wear your scars like Sunday best, like a six inch heel in a summer dress, like the beauty of the sun setting or a new day dawning, almost like a flower that's blooming. Look at that handful of tomorrow's knocking, possibilities mapped in the ground that you walk in, your radiance is haunting, there is flawlessness in the parts where your body is curving. Through you we see the glamour in breaking, in weeping until you cleanse, in falling until you dance, in giving yourself a second chance, in sending yourself love letters and then writing back, because that is how a godly woman breaks. You wear your scars like Sunday best. Hello, welcome to another episode of How I Wear My Scars, Finding Beauty in Brokenness. I'm your host and my name is Zintlek Ulu. Thank you so, so much for tuning in one more time. Always grateful and thank you for sharing the news about How I Wear My Scars to a lot of other women. Thank you just for being, you know, a loyal listener. And if you're here for the first time, welcome and thank you so much. Hoping that you can also catch up on all the other stories that you may have missed that we've done. I've done my story right in the beginning called Many Broken Pieces. We have turned story broken by my first love we have ayanda's story on mental health called and how did i get here we have louisa's story i saw the signs yet still i married him and today we are sharing tato bokwana's story and the title of this one is where was god when this happened to me and i think that's something that is probably a question that once a upon a time in our lives we've all asked ourselves you know when we feel treated unfairly when we feel that something happens to us that we did not deserve when we feel like you know for a moment there god must have left us he must have forgotten gotten about us he must have neglected his fatherly and protective duties and just let you know this horrible thing happen to us but i love how tato shares her story and you will hear it in just a short while and more than anything for me i just sense such um, a healing you know thing behind tato and her story and how she relates her story and for me more than anything it really speaks again to the vision of how i wear my scars to say regardless of whatever happens to us in our lives you know we are able to reach a place where it doesn't have to distort how we view God. It doesn't have to distort how we, you know, look at our lives going forward. It doesn't have to distort the truths that we've always known. It doesn't have to take away anything good that we have believed about God, about ourselves, about other human beings, about this world and about life itself. You know, um, it doesn't have to take away from us all of those kind of things. We can live through it and we can live even beyond, um, you know, the difficult thing that we have had to encounter in our lives. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time we'll just get straight into tato's story and i hope that you'll be blessed enjoy it where was god when this happened to me tato's story hello my name is tato and i am a child of god i am a mother i'm a wife i'm also what you would call a broadcasting enthusiast if that's a thing <laughs> i love everything about media um, old media, new media, um, radio, television, online, wherever it may be found. I think it gives us such a great opportunity to influence the world in a in a good way, in, especially in a society with so many voices. And so I love everything about the media and also the impact and the influence that it can have on people's lives. And I love to create content, produce content that helps people realize their potential, 
realize their purpose and of course impact them for the good so that's who i am in a nutshell (laughs) i am what in my early 30s i'm not afraid to say my age i just don't remember how old i am i'm 33 this year yeah 33 this year and my journey is quite a an interesting one i think like all journeys there's so many things that stand out in my life that um, make up who i am today and today i'm only going to speak about um, one that had a really huge impact on my life but is not foreign to i think most women in society today i think let's start from the beginning right which is a good place to start so i grew up in a single mother household single mother-headed household uh, like a lot of us in this country and my mom raised three of us alone me being the firstborn trendsetter i go by many wonderful titles (laughs) but uh as me as the firstborn um growing up in our household it was really I have to be honest I never really felt like I needed a father and please don't take that the wrong way it's just that we never kind of felt the gap if you know what I mean or at least it seemed like we never felt the gap Uh, my mom is absolutely amazing she is what you would call a warrior you know she really fought for us she made sure that we had everything that we needed we were not the richest of families but we didn't lack much either and um, she really made up for it in many ways um, other than other than money and so growing up without a dad didn't seem like a deficiency if you know what I mean um at about the age of what 10 11 I got the news that my father had passed away and it really took me aback it it affected me in a way that I never thought it would because I I I think perhaps maybe in my conscious some way I thought that I would have an opportunity to kind of rekindle a relationship with him he would come back into our lives I wasn't quite sure what um I was expecting but when I heard the news of his passing, I didn't expect to react um, in such a way. I really did feel the loss, you know, at the time. And for the first time, maybe even in my entire life, I felt, oh man, it would have been great to actually have some sort of relationship um, with my father or have some sort of father figure in my life. And I wasn't short of father figures. I mean, I, I grew up around my uncles who are wonderful, wonderful, great examples of men who really um, stand up and take the role of father, you know, where it's missing. But when my father passed away, I really, really did feel that um, that loss. It was, it felt like a huge loss to me. But God, being God, <laughs> um, had already provided a way out. And about a year or so after that, I went to church for the very first time. I know, right? Um, well, I shouldn't say it was for the first time. It was for the first time I went to a church where I was like, oh, I think I'm going to like it here. Uh, my mother had taken me to church and I could see that there was a difference in her life, but um, I, I wasn't quite sure where to pin it being young, being that young. So for the first time I was in a children's church that I liked. 
<laughs> there were biscuits and juice and music, live music, which is like one of my favorite things. And so at the tender age of 10, I was like, this is wonderful. When are we coming back here? And that at the end of the the children's service, um, teacher Bronwyn, I'll never forget her name, said, uh, you know, all eyes closed, all heads bowed. And um, started to do what I now know as the, the altar call. And so, she, you know, she kept saying things like, God can forgive you of your sins and all of that. And I was like, oh, that's not for me because um, I wasn't a bad kid. You know, I, w- I was really a good child. I listened to my, pe- to my mom and to my caretakers. I wasn't out of order. I was, re- I was a really good kid. And I thought to myself, you know what? All these other kids can go to the front. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm quite I'm quite okay. I'm I'm obedient. I, I don't know if I have any sins really. I'm 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 quite okay. And sitting there in my in my little self-righteousness, I heard Teacher Bronin say something to the tune of, if you want God to be your father, he can be that for you. And my heart literally stopped and I was like, What? I could have a fatherly relationship. I can't tell you how I ended up in the front <laughs> because I think I was that thirsty and that hungry for a a father-daughter relationship, you know. I was so excited that I can finally call somebody father. It was it was just such a wonderful fulfilling it filled that empty space that I didn't even know I had. Um, the empty space of a father. And that was when God revealed to me that he can be my father. He revealed himself to me as a heavenly father. And I think that was the start of our relationship. And boy, is he a good father. You know, he's such a good father, present all the time, present in word, present in deed, just loving and wonderful. And that's how I, I got to know the Lord as my father. And years went by and um, it was such a huge difference in our lives. I mean, all of us, of course, eventually came to the knowledge of the Lord. And it was just such a wonderful time in our lives. Uh, It wasn't without, you know, trouble. It wasn't without trials or tribulations. But, you know, we knew that there was a safe place to land and there was somebody to go to to speak to. And um, we knew that we weren't alone, you know. And so as the years went by, my sister got really, really ill, went to the point of needing a kidney and a liver transplant. So that's two organs that had failed um, and were failing her. My sister needed healing. But eventually God came through like he always does. And uh, my sister got a kidney and a liver donor but had to go all the way to Cape Town to go and get it. And so that meant her leaving with my mom and staying um, in Cape Town for an extended period of time, which left me and my younger brother at home relatively alone. I mean, we had family, but I was old enough now to kind of be with my brother alone in the house. It was, uh, I think I was around 18 years old. And during that time... 
it was quite a, a tough time. I mean, you've got half of your family living in another province and it's not like the easiest of times. It's not like they're on holiday. Uh, they're over there. My sister's fighting for her life. My mom is kind of stressed about how we're doing up here in Johannesburg. It was quite a hectic time. And I made a friend um, in the community. I had never seen him before. Um, but he was just the kindest, most concerned <laughs> person <laughs> who just wanted to make sure that we were okay. It was an older gentleman. Um, and in no way, in a roman romantic sense, there was no romantic link between him and I. We really, He really just wanted to be my friend and he made it really clear that he didn't want anything from me. He just wanted to be there for me. And honestly, maybe, yes, I was a little naive, but at the time, I kind of just needed somebody to lean on, you know? And here was this guy who was availing himself and he was like, I don't want to be your boyfriend. I don't want to be your lover. I just, I just want to be there for you. Have you eaten today? Have you, do you need transport somewhere? Um, I mean, this guy asked for my mother's number. He would talk to my mom. It was just like this guy who was, who just, you know, wanted to be there for us. And I thought, wow, you know, maybe God sent him to us to kind of just be there for us, you know, like a, an angel in disguise. Uh, little did I know that um, things would turn pear-shaped really quickly. One night, this gentleman came into my home, as he would many other nights, just to come and check on us. And on that particular night, he was intoxicated. And I was very surprised to see that because I knew him as a um, so-called man of God who you know, didn't do the substance thing and didn't drink and didn't smoke. But that night he was, um, I could I could actually smell the alcohol on his breath. I decided not to ask him about it. And when it was time for him to leave, he said, can I just crash here um, tonight? I, I really don't want to drink. Uh, I really don't want to drive in this condition. And so I said, okay. And uh, I went to bed. I said to him, when you leave in the morning, please lock and, um, and, and, just throw in the key or let me know that you're leaving. And he obliged and I went to bed. And the next morning he came, he said, outside the door, knocked outside the door of my bedroom and said, I am leaving. I said, goodbye, please leave the key. And he said, are you not going to, you know, bid me goodbye or kiss me goodbye? And I actually laughed it off because I was still in bed and I was like, whatever, goodbye, you know? And, um, he then proceeded to come into the room and he said, you have to kiss me good, good, goodbye. And I said to him, I, well, I, don't, I don't know if I said it to him, but I think I thought this guy is probably still drunk from the last night. Um, you know, can he just leave? And honestly, even up until that point, I was not scared. Until it was as if I blinked and he was on top of me. And I was at the top of my lungs saying no, screaming no. But he just was not hearing me. It was as if he was not hearing me. I remember thinking during that time, if I am not loud enough for this man to hear that I don't want what is happening here. I am not consenting to this. This is, he's hurting me. You know, and by the end of it all, he was sitting on the side of the bed and I was laying there in shock, I think in shock and horror, 
but he was crying and i remember thinking as strange as it was i remember thinking did i do something wrong and that's what i call the witchcraft of sexual assault or sexual molestation it immediately turns the gun or the blame on you you immediately are the perpetrator and it's because of the trick that it plays on your mind because it's so manipulative the devil is so manipulative and he he takes that and he uses against you for you you could be thinking that for years what did i do to deserve this did i do anything to lead this man on oh i led him in last night i let him sleep here of course you did you trusted him because he built that relationship of trust with you you know and um you could be thinking all sorts of things but it is a lie from the devil in that moment i thought that i was the one that was wrong um needless to say i never saw him again he left and i never saw the man again um well, i saw him around but he he never you know came to apologize or anything like that it was just one of the strangest most surreal moments in my life where i thought i've definitely done something wrong and i don't know if there's forgiveness for me or, or redemption for me my what can i say disillusionment eventually turned to anger to god towards god because i said to the lord how could you i was a young woman who you know at the time um you you make a a covenant a dedication a commitment to stay pure sexually um at that so that you save yourself for marriage i remember asking the lord how could you this is my very first sexual encounter and it has to be rape where were you what is happening why is this happening to me what have i ever done to deserve this all i've ever wanted was to please you and to do right by you and you allow this to happen and feelings of anger and resentment were insurmountable they seemed insurmountable at the time because i thought i don't know if i can trust your reasons for doing this i can trust your reasons for allowing this to happen i just didn't understand at the same time i can't tell my mom my mom is worried about my sister who's in cape town who could die at any moment who wants to be a burden <laughs> you know at that time at least that's what i thought i couldn't tell my mom i couldn't tell anybody the only person i could speak to was god who seemed distant who seemed like he didn't care and who seemed just like my father he upped and left when things got tough i i just couldn't reconcile the father that i had met years ago in a children's church room to the father that was just silent on that fateful morning i was assaulted sexually assaulted and um it seemed like he didn't do anything about it i was angry i was resentful and i was ashamed i was i was ashamed and what shame does it then isolates you from everybody else so that's why i came up with excuses why i couldn't tell my mom besides the fact that my mom was stressed with my other sibling My mom would probably say to me, "Why did you let a strange man in the house? Why did he sleep in the house? Um, how would people look at me? How would my church family look at me?" My church family, I mean, knew this this guy and um 
they, they would probably think, well, Tato, you brought it upon yourself. Of course, it was not true, but that's what, that's what my mind was telling me. And that's what I was preaching to myself the entire time. And I know for a fact that that's what happens to almost every sexual assault victim, that they think it's their fault and that no one can come to their rescue and that they deserve what happened to them because that's exactly how I felt. Uh, months went by where I, like I said, just wallowed in my anger and in self-pity and didn't tell anyone. I didn't even go for counseling because I thought to myself, nobody's going to, <laughs> nobody's going to believe me, you know? And like I said, months went by and one night in my lounge after I had um, eaten myself <laughs> stupid and watched enough binged on enough tv i switched it off and i remember saying to the lord lord do you remember that when i was raped did you see what happened and i actually remember myself relating it step by step to my heavenly father it was as if he was standing there and i was vomiting if you know what i mean i told him everything as if he never knew it. And when I became quiet, that still small voice said to me, I was there the entire time. I saw everything. I know everything that happened to you. And I want you to know that I love you, that you're acceptable to me, that you are righteous to me, that you are clean to me, that you are holy to me, that you are whole to me. And that whatever happened that night never ever separated you from my love I knew it was coming and I knew that you would be in my arms when it did and if you think like I cried then that's an understatement I I bawled I couldn't I couldn't even stand at the weight of the love of my heavenly father who was never ever like my earthly father he had promised that he would never leave me and never forsake me. And that's exactly what he did. That moment, me and him alone in the lounge, freed me from chains of anger, of resentment, of hurt, of rejection, of shame that I thought I would never ever break out of. And it was the starting point to, I eventually told my mom many years later because I really needed to get the courage to do that. And just to prove the devil a liar, my mother said to me, why didn't you come to me? And I realized the devil can paralyze you so much with fear that you think you are all alone. Nobody cares about you. And that is a lie because people care more than you know. And the Holy Spirit is so faithful. He prepares people's hearts even before you go to them. And that's when I learned to never ever hold back in telling people what had happened to me because you don't know what the impact is on the other side. And it's a struggle every day. There are things that you see, things that you hear that trigger, you know, such moments or that trigger what has happened to you. But you know where to go and you know what anchors you and you know what keeps you going I remember asking the Lord Lord 
when am I going to like stand on a stage and tell people about my story? And the Lord said to me, I didn't call you, you know, to tell your story on the stage. Sometimes the story is best told when you meet a young girl in the taxi who's in tears and you ask, what is wrong? And she says, I don't want to talk about it. And the Holy Spirit prompts you to tell her your story. Sometimes it's a woman who walks into your office and says, you'll never believe what I've been through. This is what happened to me. And the Holy Spirit says, this is your chance to encourage somebody with your story. Sometimes it's a handful of teenagers in church that are talking about consent. And the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, this is your opportunity. And I'm so grateful for those moments because they're not up on a stage or they're not on a big platform, so to speak, but they are so sacred because there are moments where I'm prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, tell them what God has done in you. Tell them what you've been through. I love the story of Peter. (laughs) Peter has to be my favorite, favorite disciple. Very zealous, reminds me of myself. Because there was a moment in Peter's ministry where Jesus said to him, Peter, you are the rock. I call you a rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And Peter must have thought, what? I have made it. I am the boss. I have the keys. (laughs) You know, Um, and in Luke 22, after all of that, Jesus then prophesies Peter's denial. Can you believe it? A whole rock, a whole boss with the key is going to deny Jesus. Jesus speaks to Peter and says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this. After you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. That scripture speaks to me so, so much because it speaks of Jesus' authority over our lives. The fact that nothing ever happens without his permission and without him allowing it to happen, number one. Number two, it speaks about how even you, if you are so close to Jesus, like Peter was, Satan can still come and demand to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. It also confirms the fact that even though that happens, Jesus has prayed for us. Isn't that amazing? The high priest himself has prayed for us that we would stay faithful to him no matter what comes. And all that will happen so that we can make it our life's mission to strengthen the faith of other people. It really sums up my testimony because I realize why I'm on this earth. I realize why that happened to me. Nothing ever happens to you without Jesus' permission. And nothing ever happens to you without his reasoning. And his reason is always love. And I want to encourage you to know that it wasn't in vain that it happened to you. God knows about it. He was there. And he still holds you in the palm of his hand. In fact... Nothing can ever separate you from his love. Nothing that ever happened to you 
nothing that's ever happening to you right now can ever separate you from his love. He still calls you his beloved. My name is Tata Bagwana and this is how I wear my scars. <laughs>